0: Alright, good, 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 good morning, church. <clears throat> Usually we begin with the, the service by asking people if they have their Bibles, but today we'll ask if you have your jacket. If you don't have your jacket, just put your hand up and the guys in the back will bring one to you. Seriously, if you're really, really cold, uh, we do have some extra jackets that we'd be glad to uh, pass out, and and just so that you can be somewhat comfortable during the service. I am so sorry uh, that it is cold Uh, This is what you get for complaining that it was too hot all summer at Fuma. We're just never happy, are we? Really, I think what happened is that the uh, school heard that the title of the sermon was keeping the fire burning, and so they figured we didn't need heat. We really are trying to get it sorted out. Anyway, well, good morning, church. Let's do that. Let's get Bibles out, then. Uh, If you don't have your Bibles... Uh, Again, put up your hands and the guys in the back will bring one down to you. Those of you that have them, uh, we're in 2 Timothy chapter 1. 2 Timothy chapter 1. Are you ready? Bibles are open to 2 Timothy. Let's pray. Oh Lord, uh, we just love your word. We do. We love Uh, The things that hurt in it, that challenge us, and we love the things in it that heal. Your word is like a a double-edged sword. It it cuts, uh, but it also heals. And Father, we're so thankful that in our rapidly changing world, we have a firm foundation. Not just in your word, but the fact that your word is connected to your character, who you are. That you're unchanging. That you're sovereign. That you're good. And that you'll never lie. And all of these things about you, Lord, we've come to trust and depend on. We've come to trust in your forgiveness. And we've come to trust in your redemption and your restoration and your acceptance of us, just as we are. And we've come to trust in your power to transform. The, the, the worst human life and make it beautiful. We've come to trust that you give beauty for ashes and the oil of joy for mourning. And Lord, we just want to know you a little bit more this morning. And we pray all this that you'd speak to us in Jesus' name and all of God's hungry people shouted, Amen, Amen, Amen. Amen. So we're in 2 Timothy, and before we actually get into studying the passage, I have a question by way of introduction. And the question is, can you think of somebody who embarrasses you consistently? Maybe the past, maybe the present. Uh, somebody who just, you know, you, you, you're with them, and they just, they lack this sense of, the sensitivity to their surroundings or to other people. Some of you are laughing, so I know you came up with somebody right away. Uh, for some of you, it's your spouse, you know, oh my goodness, I can dress him up, but I can't take him out. He just doesn't, this lacks, there's no filter there, you know, and so you go out to dinner and you're just worried about what's going to be said or or how they're going to dress or, or they just embarrass you. For the, For some parents, sometimes it's your kids. Sometimes maybe it's the grocery store, and I remember when our kids were young, I mean, we just kind of pulled all the wagons in a circle, and we were under attack, you know, just like when we tried to go out to eat, and, or try to go to the grocery store, and you're in line there with all the groceries, and there's a hundred people behind you, and that's when they decide to throw the temper tantrum, and every, all the eyes are on you, right, and so it's embarrassing. For me, it was not parents being embarrassed of children, it was me being embarrassed of my parents. When I was about 16, I remember going through this phase. And my parents have it all in the photo albums. We would go on vacation together. And I remember I was just so cool. I could hardly stand being embarrassed by my parents. Like, people might see me with them. And I felt like, oh my goodness, they're so uncool. And now I look back at the pictures and I go, man, they should have been embarrassed of me. But I remember all the pictures. I've just got this sour face on my head like, yes, I'm 17 and I'm on vacation with my parents. That's the kind of look I had. Do you got somebody in mind that embarrasses you? What is it? Why is it that their behavior or lack of embarrasses you? Why is it that it makes you want to hide when they do that embarrassing thing? Isn't it because somehow, because you're connected with them, it's their behavior, it reflects on you, and it represents you, and we don't like the way it looks on us, so we distance ourselves or we hide because we're embarrassed, or if you want to use a better word, we're ashamed. And that's the the very common and usual response, even back to Genesis, to being ashamed is hiding. So we want to hide, we want to distance ourselves. Now, the interesting thing about this, and I want you to keep that in mind, about this idea that we, we wanna embarrassment makes us want to hide, makes us want to distance ourselves, because see, right now being a Christian is cool. And I don't mean that in the temperature sense, although it is this morning, being a Christian right here, right now, is very cool. Uh, but right now there's a the Christian culture, isn't there? Where there's mega churches and there's this cult of personality among pastors, these pastors with big names and big churches and big Radio stations and TV programs, and we have, you know, the, the, there's a very cool Christian culture. It wasn't always that way, and it won't always be that way. You see, in the Apostle Paul's day, as we're looking at Second Timothy, by way of introduction, we talked about this last week, that at the time Paul is writing this is his last letter, his last will and testament he's been imprisoned in Rome because he's a Christian. And because he's vocal about it. He's not willing to just hush and go along with the flow and just have some form of Christianity uh, that just kind of is acceptable. He wasn't willing to do that. And so it's gotten him in trouble. And he finds himself in, in prison because of that. You see, being a Christian then was very dangerous and I think being a Christian again in our country will be dangerous, and it's getting that way, because there's getting to be some things. You know, it floored me, and and I don't I'm, I don't align myself politically. Okay, you're not going to hear me say, well, I'm a Democrat, I'm a Republican, I'm a Christian, and then I vote my conscience, I vote whatever I think is is most suitable. But it was interesting to me to hear the Republican Party kind of talking about how we got to change some stuff because our views aren't popular anymore. You know, the the world is changing morally speaking. And to hear the Republicans saying, "Well, you know, we, we might need to update our our platform here, otherwise we're never going to get any votes." And to me, that's just really scary. When a person says, "I got to change how I live because maybe if I live this way, or if I think this way, it's not going to be popular," and so we can easily become ashamed of what we've come to believe or what we've come to to live by, because if people are who we're concerned with, then and, and Jesus embarrasses us, or some things about, then it's easy to just kind of, let's water down the things that embarrass us about Jesus in front of the world. Since when are Christians called to make the world happy? Or, or to be acceptable to the world? That's just not the way to... So right now, we seem to live in that, don't we? We're, we're very acceptable to the world. Matter of fact, I think the church has worked hard to be acceptable to the world. And I'm not, that's not a good thing. So with that in mind, we come to 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 8. Paul has encouraged this young man, this timid young man, Timothy, who is very easily swayed by, by the opinion polls of people. And he's encouraging him, Timothy, stir up the gift that's in you. Don't hide. Don't be cowardly about what God has called you to be. Be confident, not cowardly. Stir that up, man. Use that gift. Get that fire burning again like it used to be. Because God has not given us a spirit of fear, of cowardice, but of power, love, and a sound mind. And then he says, verse 8, Therefore, do not be ashamed of the testimony of our Lord, nor of me, his prisoner, but share with me in the sufferings of, for the gospel according to the power of God. And and the, the sentence goes on. Paul, of course, is the master of run-on sentences, isn't he? He can fit a lot of theology into one sentence. But he says, therefore, because this is true, because you know, you grow, you've grown up with this faith, you, it was genuine faith, you believe this, you learned it from your, your mother and your grandmother, and God's gifted you and God's called you. He says, therefore, don't be ashamed of the testimony of our Lord. So the, the, the Greek indicates that it's not that Timothy was ashamed Okay, It's not the kind of thing he's saying, Timothy, stop being ashamed. But it's more like Timothy, don't get wrapped up with other people who are being ashamed, who are falling away because of that reason. So he sees a couple of problems here. The first place is is that Timothy could potentially be ashamed of the testimony of Jesus. Can you imagine how that would be possible? We've talked about the people that that sort of embarrass us or make us ashamed, and so we try to kind of uh, change who Jesus is some, in some ways. Because you know, well, when we say, well, you know, when, I, when I'm with people and we start talking about Jesus, and they don't really like that Jesus is the only way, so well, we don't we don't talk about that. You know, we're not we're not going to talk about that. And and when I talk about believing in creation, well, they think I'm really stupid and that I didn't go to school, and because you know, only idiots believe that creation. You know, everybody knows it's evolution. So I sort of feel bad. And so well, then I well maybe it's you know maybe it was God used evolution or something like that. The Bible says in the beginning God created, and we can't water that down. That's what He said. But because of some, you know, so it's real subtle. It can be real subtle in our lives that we can be ashamed because you know well it's not real popular to talk about miracles. People don't believe in miracles anymore. And 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 one way and and cross across. A cross, really? I mean, that's humiliating. I mean, we don't want to believe. We want to believe in the power. Power. And so he says, Timothy, don't don't be ashamed of the testimony of our Lord. And I think that would be the same thing for us, right? That that would be what what God is saying to us. Don't be ashamed or embarrassed by what he's saying or or trying to, to water it down. This is where... Buffet Christianity starts. If you haven't noticed that, that in some ways we have this buffet Christianity. We we pick and choose what parts of Jesus we like, and, and this is it concerns me because this is where the church is going. Because sometimes if we if we go through the whole Bible, there are issues. See, people really don't like it when you tell them that there's something in their life that's wrong. Well, wait, who are you to say that there's a right and a wrong? Well, I don't know. I'm sorry. I didn't. I don't know. I. It's just what the Bible says, but if it makes you feel bad, and I don't want to be ashamed of Jesus, so I'll change Jesus a little bit. And we just won't talk about that. And so we have this buffet Christianity where we just focus on certain things, and people don't like the word sin. But the testimony of Jesus is that he came to seek and save that which is lost. He came to save people from their sins. And if that's gone, then the gospel is gone. And we've become ashamed of Christ. So that, that's one problem. The second problem, he says, Timothy, don't be ashamed of, of Jesus or his testimony or of me, his prisoner. Whose prisoner? Not Rome's prisoner, although he is. But he is where he is because that's where God has him. For whatever reasons, God has him there. He's got him in prison. And Paul could be the first to say, you know, oh, I could be doing so much for the Lord if I wasn't in this prison. I mean, I could he was the most aggressive church planter and all what I could be doing if I wasn't stuck here. But that's never what Paul says. He says, "Hey, I'm his prisoner." You could be if I wasn't stuck in this job. Man, I could do so much for the Lord. If I wasn't stuck in this relationship, if I wasn't stuck in this in this town, if I wasn't stuck here. You know, you know the saying, bloom where you're planted. That's what Paul is doing. He's just, he says, hey, I'm stuck in this prison, but man, I've got a lot of time to pray for people. And I've got a lot of time to write and to think. And so he says, I'm, I'm, don't be, but it could easily be uh, happening that people, now that Paul's in prison, they could be saying, well, you know, I knew he was too much of a radical. know if he would have just, just kept quiet a little bit, you know, been a little more private about his faith. If he just didn't say things that stirred, then he could, he could be out like us. He could, wouldn't have to worry about prison. wouldn't have to worry about, you know, that kind of thing. He could have just lived a peaceful life like we do. And easily people would become ashamed. Now he's in prison. Ah, we always knew he was too radical. Yeah, we thought that about Paul. Why can't he just learn to, to be like us? Oh, that we would not learn to be like us. <laughs> that we would learn to have a little more of that zeal that the Apostle Paul had, a little more willingness. That doesn't mean you have to be stupid about it, right? It doesn't mean you have to get in people's faces purposely. But it just means that, you know, hey, this is Jesus. This is Paul. So instead of being ashamed, the option, he says, is instead of those things, Timothy, share with me in the sufferings for the gospel. Ah, now there's a great invitation, right? (laughs) I mean, really, this is what, this is the offer, to share in the sufferings? Those of you that know your Bible, you know, we love to share. We want to share in the power. We want to share in the progress, the momentum, the success, the Starbucks. You know, we want to share in all these things about the gospel. We want to share in all the, oh, you know, churches, the the exciting, and the music, and the emotion, and the, oh, I just feel so good when I leave church. We want to share in all that, and none of that is wrong. But if you don't share in the suffering, you cannot share in the crown. You cannot share in the victory. You know, When I was in college, I was on the rowing team. And you've got eight guys locked together in a boat, not physically, but you're all, you know, if one, one guy can't just stop rowing because you're all kind of in unison together. And the boat's only as strong as its as weakest link. And it's a, terror, it's a tough sport. I mean, because when you're running, if you get tired, you can slow down. But when you've got eight guys all keeping the pace, you can't slow down. So you've got to suck it up and keep up until you cross the line, and then you collapse. And so you share in the suffering, and then when the race is over, you share in the victory. And in the Christian life, uh, in in America, we don't like to we don't like to talk about suffering. We we want to avoid suffering. But the reality is, if we are connected to that man who some are embarrassed by. And who was himself despised and rejected by man. If we are unified with him in his resurrection, we're also unified with him in his death and in the embarrassment sometimes. See, we can't just be connected to Christ in the crown, but not want to know him, and listen, this is really important, and not want to know him in the fellowship of suffering. That's what Paul said. He said, I would trade everything I had, everything I was, everything I did as a As a Jewish religious man and all the success, I would trade it in a heartbeat. And he had for what? To know him. And I want to know him in the power of his resurrection. And we can say amen to that. And then he said, and I want to know him in the fellowship of his sufferings. There's just something you learn about Christ when you suffer for him. Isn't there? I mean, there's just something that bonds people together when they suffer together. I mean, it's one thing to enjoy and celebrate together. But when we have struggled together, when we have suffered together, there's a deeper bond that develops there. People that have been in, in the military together, people that have guys that have gone to battle together, there's a deep bond in suffering. And Paul is saying, Timothy, don't run from this aspect of our lives. Instead, embrace it and let it draw us closer and deeper with each other and with the Lord. Does that make sense to everybody? Are we there? But, I don't th- but you might say, I don't know if I can suffer. I mean, I don't, I don't know if I'm strong enough to suffer for my faith. You know, there's going to be a time, and there has been plenty of time in the past, there will be times in the future when being a Christian meant your life. It meant a lot of embarrassment, or it meant death. And you might say, I don't know if I can do that. Well, look what Paul says next. He says, share with me in the sufferings for the gospel according to my own power. Is that what he says? He says, no, according to the power of God. When a person says, you know, I'm going to live for Christ, I'm going to live this life uncompromisingly, God says, I'm going to meet you there, and I'm going to give you the power to do it. Uh, Corey Ten Boom, talking with her father, said, I don't know if I have the faith to die. I don't know if I'm ready for that. And he said, "Corey, when we get on the train to Amsterdam, when do I give you the ticket?" And she said, well, when we get on the train, when, when I need it. And he said, that's right. And our loving Heavenly Father is the same way. He will give you the grace when you need it. See, we're good at thinking, oh, you know, we see someone else going through something. Oh, I could never do that. Well, when, you ha- when you're called to go through it, this is what you can't understand until you've suffered. You see, Paul knows that. He's, he's been there. He said, I learned when I was just, I was like in this big problem, I learned not to trust in myself, but in God who raises the dead. He learned that. He learned that when you are in trouble for His sake, that He will meet you there and give you the grace to endure it. You see, because sometimes the power of God is to be released from something, but sometimes the power of God is to endure something. Isn't that what Paul's saying here? Share with me in the sufferings for the gospel according to the power of God who has saved us and called us with a holy calling. He saved us. I mean, he's like, why would we be embarrassed of or ashamed of? Like me being embarrassed of my parents, they gave me life. They changed my diapers, they fed me, they carried me to soccer practice. I mean, they did all, and then, all, and then here I am at 17 going, I'm too cool for them. I mean, what is that all about? I had to repent just yesterday from that. Again, you know, call my dad, I'm so sorry. I was such a jerk as a teenager. It's like, it's like the fireman that runs into the building to save the person who is stuck there. And then just as he brings that person out, puts them safely on the ground, he then succumbs of uh, smoke inhalation and dies right there. And then we go, well, I don't. the paper says, oh, you know, can we write the story up? Yeah, but don't mention that guy. Let's. How about we rewrite it? That I saved myself. That I ran out of the bill. Let's rewrite the story. I I got this this uh, strength that came upon me, and I and I ran through the flames, and you know, and I carried the dog with me, and you know, and I made it out on my own. And there's the fireman. I'm embarrassed of him. Do you see what he's wearing? It's like yellow. Yellow's so out, you know. He saved us and He called us with a holy calling. He invited us into this Christian life. Uh, when I was a teenager, I lived in a in a neighborhood with a lot of other teenagers. There was probably twenty of us kids all in this neighborhood, and we would stay out late at night just playing sports and whatever. And and about dinner time, the parents would start to come to the doors, and you know they would start calling for us to call us to call us in, and that's the same word really that would be used for called us called out loud he called to you it's not that you found god god found you and he called to your heart he knocked on the door of your heart and he invited you and it wasn't an invitation to sin it wasn't an invitation to live like the world or to be influenced by the world it was an influence or it was an invitation to a different life than you had i mean why would you want to go back to that life anyway He's called us with a holy calling, a calling that we can now live for Him. And it's special. And it's unique. You see, He says He's called us, saved us, called us with a holy calling, not according to our works, but according to His own purpose and grace. This is foundational stuff, folks. He called us. You know I've been using this example because it was like one of these things that hit me. You, you know I like to go to the gym. I've been going to the gym since I was really sixteen and and recently been back at the gym, and I realized that you know uh, people sometimes say well i I'll, I'll I'll answer God's call when I get my life cleaned up. That's like saying, "Well, I'll go to the gym after I get in shape. That's sort of why you go right, and if you're a gym owner. It's not that you're just looking for people that are buff and in great shape to come to your gym so you just have this, this club where we just all admire each other and we just all look good and we just have this club and no one else that doesn't look good is invited into our club. No, what's awesome about the gym are the testimonies of transformation. And that's what, the, the, you know, you go to the gym and there's the, there's the picture, you know, I used to weigh this, but now I started coming to the gym and now I weigh this and look how my life has changed. That's what church is about. It's about this great God who doesn't save us because we're buff and because we got it all sorted out, but he saves us because we're overweight and out of shape or whatever it might be, and, our, and, our, and we're, we're sick. And he says, come, talk about the real health club it's the spiritual health club. So it's not because you got it all figured out. He didn't save you because you were doing it all right, because you looked good, because you had it all together. Matter of fact, he saved you because you didn't. So that he looks better when your testimony gets shared. See, your, your, your before and after pictures make him look great. And you think it's about you. He says he didn't call you for your, so, so you could have a better life. He called for his own purposes. But Steve, that hurts my self-esteem. He didn't call you for your purposes. He called you for his. And what were his purposes? He wanted to show the world how much depth his love has and how much power his grace has in the life of a sinful person to set them free. That was his purpose, one of many. He's got other purposes too. But the primary purpose is to show the world what a glorious God can do with a failure. His purposes, His grace, not our works. And this grace was given to us in Christ Jesus when? Before time began? You mean there's something before Genesis 1 1? Yeah, there's something before, there's the mind of God who had this all sorted out. I mean, it's a good thing I'm not God because I'm terrible at holding on to presents. Like if I buy you a Christmas present in June, you're getting it in June because I just can't hold on to it. So God knew how the whole thing... He had the whole... Jesus is the Lamb slain before the foundation of the world. All that was sorted out. Before time began, He had this worked out. Does that mean that that God had... Decided to save me before time began? That's right. Steve, are you a Calvinist? <laughs> do you believe in election? I don't, I, I, never, I don't use labels. You won't hear me call myself a Calvinist or a, or a uh, Arminianist or any of those things. I believe that before time began, that's when the grace of God was given to me. Before time began. Before I had time to earn it. See, if it was after time began, then we could take credit for it. So do I believe in election? Absolutely. So you say, well, what if I'm not elect? Well, I'll tell you what, if you're here today and you're listening, I'm telling you, God doesn't desire that you should perish. So today, you can be saved. And then you can know that you're one of the elect. And isn't that the good news that there are those that the grace of God was extended to before time began, and we get to go and find them through evangelism. We're fishing in a stocked pond. I think I owe Warren credit for that one, right? (laughs) That's great, that there are people that will be saved. This is fantastic. Before time began, but now it's been revealed. It was sort of a mystery before. The grace of God and the forgiveness in Jesus Christ and this final atoning sacrifice that his life provided, him becoming poor so we could be rich. All that was sort of a mystery, but it was revealed in Christ. Christ who has abolished death and brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. I think we're still in one sentence here. Paul hung out with a doctor named Luke, but I think he should have hung out with an English teacher. It might have been more helpful for us. But don't miss this. This is fantastic. This is what it says about, why shouldn't I be embarrassed of Christ? Because he abolished death. I mean, you know, we, we like to name drop, don't we? We like to be around people that, well, this guy, you know, he's this and he's that. And that's why I hang out with him because he makes me look good because I drop his name and people go, ooh, and that makes me feel important. Oh, yeah? My buddy abolished death. What'd your friend do? Go ahead. Your turn, you know. I was reading an article at the gym about a guy that, like, decided to travel around the world under his own power. He was he rode across two oceans and, and then walked, hiked, and rode his bike from all around the whole world. He didn't use sailboats or motors or anything like that. And I thought, now that's, a, that's impressive. And he made it. He did it. But my Jesus abolished death. Can you do that? Now, the word abolished is interesting. You have to know this. This is great. It means to render useless, inactive, or unemployed. And so I began, unemployed, I began to sit around and think about the business meeting. That Jesus would have had, you know, here's love, and here's faith, and here's patience, and here's hope, and there's death. And Jesus says, sorry, we've got to let you go. We're downsizing here, and there's, there's no need for you anymore in this company. You're unemployed. I got a list of things that have been that we've become obsolete. Remember PDAs, the, the Palm Pilot? Obsolete. Getting film developed. It's now obsolete. Movie rental stores, maps, the classified section of the paper, public pay phones, phone books, dictionaries, encyclopedias, VCRs. I grew up going to an arcade. You'd have to go down, you put your quarter in, and obsolete. Boom boxes. Anybody remember boom boxes? They're all, we all have iPods now, and dot matrix printers. Anybody remember? And note, we can add one more thing to that list. Death. Death has been abolished. It's, it's been uh, rendered idle, useless. So when someone says about me or about you, hey, Steve died, don't believe it. The, because Jesus fulfilled the law, and because the wages of sin is death, He dealt with sin and therefore He dealt with what? Death. Death. And so now, the whole deal, so, so now the whole deal is just connect yourself to Him. Because He abolished death. I, if I'm connected to the suffering, I'm connected to the crown. If, I'm, if I died with Him, I'll also be what? Raised with Him. It's Him. It's all about Him. It's not about following a set of rules or following a set of laws or being a good little boy. That, that's our holy calling. But that's not my ticket to heaven. My ticket to heaven is Jesus Christ a person. My pick, my ticket is a person. He abolished death and he shined the light on immortality or incorruptibility through the gospel. To which verse 11 says, I was appointed a preacher, an apostle, and a teacher of the Gentiles. He says, I think with great pride. Uh, one man said, and it's a quote that stuck with me, I'd rather uh, fail in serving a cause that ultimately succeeds than to succeed in a cause that ultimately fails. I did some research. How many of you guys are, are into football? Maybe, you know, some of you guys into football. OK. Who, you know who won the Heisman Trophy this year? This guy, Johnny Manziel. He's like Texas A&M, really athletic. I mean, tremendously athletic guy. And I started to think, well, I wonder who won the Heisman Trophy in 1973? Anybody know? 1973. That's not that long ago, is it? I mean, I was born in 69, so it was my lifetime. Well, his name was John He was from Penn State. Maybe now, oh yeah, I remember. But see, the point I'm trying to make is all of the things you you can glory in now. You know, we did this, I went to this college and I got this degree, and I'm doing this job, and I got this accolades I got these trophies. No one's gonna remember. Nobody cares. Your great grandkids aren't gonna know about it. But the purposes of Christ are eternal. And and when it comes time, you know, he says, Look, all my life. This is the thing that ultimately mattered that I was an apostle, a preacher. I serve the Lord because he never forgets. He never forgets. And what God is looking for is just faithfulness. Just faithfulness. And so he says, for this reason, verse 12, I also suffer these things. This is why I'm suffering, not because I was a thief or a murderer or any of these things. I'm suffering because I'm not ashamed. He says, nevertheless, I'm not ashamed. Uh, Timothy, I'm not ashamed. Jesus wasn't ashamed to suffer for me. I'm not ashamed to suffer for him. And you shouldn't be ashamed either. What we're doing is not, the world might consider it shameful. But in eternity, what we do, we can be very proud of. Even if the world doesn't appreciate it. Nevertheless, I'm not ashamed. And here's why. Now, underline this, highlight it, triple star it, rip the page out, put it in your pocket, hang it on the fridge, for I know whom I have believed. And I am persuaded that he is able to keep what I have committed to him until that day. Why am I not ashamed? Because I know, not just that I know what I believe. Or it's not just that I know in whom I believe. It's I know who I believe. And again, Paul had learned that by experience. I know that I can trust Christ and his word. And if he says to me, it's it's this, then I know that's what it is. And if he says to me, I can look forward to a crown, uh, I can look forward to eternal life, then I believe him more so than I believe those other people that are falling away. So he says, I know. He had settled the matter in his heart. I I, I just know. I know whom I believe. And it's not just a, a sort of... Uh, A casual knowledge It's I know and I'm fully convinced and I cannot be persuaded otherwise whom I believe. And I am persuaded that he is able to guard or keep what I have committed to him until that day. What day? That day. That day when he stands before the Lord. That day when he's face to face. That day when he's Finished this race and moved into eternity, I know that he is able to. What is it that Paul had committed to him? Everything. His life, his goals, his purpose, his direction, his plan, everything. Paul laid it all on the table, didn't he? Paul, you know, he wasn't just kind of going, well, I just, you know, I want to be careful because I'm not sure if this is right, you know, maybe. We're wrong. Maybe Christianity is a myth, so on and so forth. Maybe we should just be cautious. Was Paul cautious? He was not cautious. Is God calling us to live a cautious life? He's calling us to live a fully persuaded life. And trusting. Look, you know, I've been there. Helga grew up on Long Island, and I remember when I first made the transition, you know, being a blacksmith, that's kind of cool, right? Because when you go, and, and, and she grew up in a neighborhood up in, on Long Island, and I remember we'd go up there for the 4th of July, her neighborhood had this big uh, kind of parade, and, and all the, the guys she went to high school with are all there, and this guy's a Navy SEAL, and he, this guy's a neurosurgeon, and, you know, blacksmith, okay, I can hang, you know, blacksmith, well, that's kind of cool, you know, tell him working with steel and fire, that's kind of neat. And that was all right. You know, there they are with their beers and their hands. And what do you do for a living? What do you do for, you know, well, I'm a, I'm a neurosurgeon. I'm a, you know, Navy SEAL. But, but then I had to say, I'm a pastor. And then, oh, nice talking to you, yeah, you know. The, <laughs> and they try to find anybody. They'll talk to the dog, you know. So how are you doing today? Anybody but me. Because to some people, we are the stench of death. Because we you know, we bring this light in, and they, then they see their darkness, and the darkness wants to hide. They don't want to talk about eternity. They don't want to talk about right and wrong. They don't want to talk about needing a Savior. That stuff, like, it harshes my mellow. You know, I don't want to talk about that. I don't know what that means either. <laughs> I think I heard a kid say that once. But I had to deal with that. I had to deal with my identity. I had to deal with not being ashamed of Christ. And so do you. And so do you. That it's not a shameful thing what we do. It's not a shameful thing who we are. I'm just looking at my watch and thinking, okay, how far can we get? Uh, that's, that's, That's a lot for this morning, isn't it? Let's stop there. Let's stop there for this morning, and uh, we'll pick up in verse thirteen next time with "Hold fast the pattern of sound words." If I could invite Phil back up, um, you know, there's as I say these things, I have to be real. I can be overly critical and. You know, I thank God for, for what we have, the freedom we have in the church right now, don't you? I mean, it's great that we can come together freely and we can enjoy uh, the things of the Lord. My worry my worry is, is that I want to make sure that, that Jesus Christ is producing uh, not just excited Christians, but, but mature Christians. There's nothing wrong, you don't have to become so mature that you're never excited. I, I love the passion, uh, the excitement that people have about their faith, but I hope that that excitement doesn't... Only exist when everything is is going well for you, and that's my concern I want to see the Lord really raise up uh, folks that are confident in christ and, and you have to deal with some if you're a people pleaser being a christian is a tough thing because it used to be you know right now there's this the, the church in the world you know kind of they're they're kind of close you know there's we've kind of messed with the gospel a little bit in some ways and we we kind of avoid, it's not just about what people say. It's about what they don't say. Have you figured that out? It's not just about what, you know, there's a lot of great things that are being said, but sometimes it's about what, what someone's not willing to say, because if I say it, then people might not come anymore. And that's why, this is why you have to know this about your pastor. That it, that it, I have this commitment in my heart that I can't shake. out. It's a conviction of the Holy Spirit. And that's to go through the whole counsel of God's Word. Because we're told not to take anything away or add anything to it. So I figure as long as we, we read it right there, we go through Genesis to Revelation, that I'm safe. That I've done what God's called me to do. We've The whole counsel of God's Word. And I'm, and I'm not tempted to change things or play with things, to, to draw a crowd or to, to make it pleasing. And so that's the commitment we have that, that Paul says to Timothy, Guard this by the Holy Spirit. And so that's what we're doing, is letting God have His way in us. Following Him and letting the chips fall where they may. Amen?